Welcome to Investable Partnerships, where we talk to industry leaders about growing revenue-generating partnerships. I'm your host, Des Russell, and co-founder of Partner Elevate. And the daily battle for partner success is forcing channel leaders to rethink how to maximize their relevance and value so they can be a driver of partner impact. So let's jump in and find out how. Hi there, and welcome to the Investable Partnerships podcast. Uh, it's great to have Reagan Corioza from Amazon Web Services uh, join um, on uh, today's podcast. And, um, you know, uh, Reagan, uh, it's uh, always good to have another colleague. We've had uh, um, uh, Kelly Griffin join us in our first, very first episode. So um, you're making our third episode. So I think you're uh, you're pretty you're pretty up there. But welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. Um, as we learn, how are you being a driver uh, of partner impact um, for Amazon Web Services? So I'd love to start there. Tell us a bit about yourself. So over to you. Thanks, Des. Thanks for having me. And I, I did listen to the to the podcast of my colleague Kelly uh, earlier this morning just to make sure we'll, I wasn't covering anything the same that he was covering as well. So I really pr- appreciate you having me on. He's someone I work really closely day in, day in, day out, and you're doing a great job with the podcast too. I just want to want to preface the podcast with that as well. So looking forward to being on today. But I guess just for just by way of background, Des, for your audience. So I work in the the technology partner team here at AWS uh, and have done so for the last three and a half years. We we sort of categorize technology partners predominantly as, as software companies or ISVs that are built on top of AWS as a customer first and foremost. And then we obviously help grow them across the build market and sell and help, help them grow their business because, I mean, as a byproduct of them growing their business, right, as a customer, they're more successful on AWS. So that's been my world for the last three and a half years. Um, and I support mostly in my current role now, global ISVs, uh, some of your larger security vendors uh, overseas and all in the world expand into the APJ market via AWS and via a lot of our coastal mechanisms, mechanisms and with our team. Uh, prior to that, I was at Trend Micro, so on the other side of the fence, I was in, in vendor land, you could say, from our point of view, um, working at Trend and working with their MSP. So I've been in partnerships in the, you could say, officially for five for the last five years. Before that, I had a really, really weird career trajectory. I was involved heavily in esports. Uh, and ran my own esports team that traveled the world playing competitive video gaming, dealing with sponsors back then. And I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but that was my foray into partnerships. I was dealing with like at a very young age with Logitech, Monster Energy, negotiating sponsorship contracts and managing some of the best video gamers in, in ANZ at the time. And that was my uni degree, you could say, into partnerships and, and learning how to build people relationships. And so that really helped me, has helped me greatly in, in what I do today. So you were into gaming. I mean, you know, I always talk about this uh, on a, on the podcast and the journey of people in partnerships is crazy. People don't uh, people don't actually understand it. It's not the uh, proven pathway that you typically 100%. get from from any career. So esports gaming was your kind of the start yeah. into partnerships I, yeah, never, it was. I never knew that that's that's unbelievable man and yeah. what did you learn about partnerships then that you kind of kind well, of led you to what you're doing today i mean well, funnily, funnily enough i was speaking to one of our global leaders um a couple of months back he was in in sydney for a tour 
And I was telling him this exact story of how I got into into partnerships into the you know the corporate IT world. And he was like, it's funny because me as a leader too, which we have this vision of someone that comes into our world, you know, comes through and does university or college degrees and starts in a junior role and works their way up. He goes, but he likes to pick people that have obscure, diverse backgrounds because they bring a, a unique viewpoint. And for me, like when I was telling that story, I look back and at the time I thought that was a weakness of mine as I didn't have this really long corporate background. But the background I had in esports brought me diverse perspectives and almost like a startup-y perspective in a way that when I joined Trend and now AWS, it helped me because I was a little naive in a way and that naivety has been my greatest strength because I haven't come with any preconceived notions of the way things have been done, which I think has been really strong. And in esports, because especially when I was doing it, it was so new, it was all about trust and and people. And this is something day in, day out, I, as working in the partnership world, and out of Amazon's 14 leadership principles, the most important one for me is earn trust because we can talk about programs, mechanisms, go to market. None of that matters if the partner doesn't trust you and the people don't trust you. So that is, for me, has been the biggest learning point throughout my whole career is build trust with people, not only just companies, but people, people on the other side of the fence that you're working with day in, day out. If you build that trust, then there's no problem we can't solve together. So yeah, that's absolutely. Been my I think learning. the partnerships world, we have this... Uh, we we have the 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 commercial agreement between uh, one or more companies, but the reality is um, how you execute that is through through the people, and that's probably a great segue into um, into your particular role. And um, I know this is called the Investable Partnerships Podcast, and um, it's really all about looking at how people are being a driver for partner impact in this partnership leader, uh, partnership-led world. And um, we talk about two key things around relevance and value. Um, trust is a component, absolutely a component of that. So you've got, if I can kind of uh, replay to you, you've got um, global uh, software companies that are looking to expand in this uh, ge- geography in APJ, um, the APJ geography, um, they're either net new to uh, the partnering ecosystem, or they're an existing um, existing organisation that has a built has built a strong partner program or partner ecosystem. They look into scale with AWS. For you, what? How do you go about thinking? Do you have a framework of thinking um, about partnerships? Now, obviously, in your role, yes, you are kind of there's a new partner that comes through the AWS machine. Hey, uh, Regan, you've got to um, help this particular partner. So you kind of go into this relationship with this particular partner. Um, what framework do you use? Do you have a framework for understanding how investable this particular business is, um, a framework to, to, to get to know really at the core what this partnership might, might look like? Yeah, absolutely. Good, good question, Des. Um, and something... Especially my early my earlier roles at AWS, I was in a scale role dealing with uh, mostly local startups trying to get into the AWS partner network and get on AWS Marketplace and really build that motion with us. And that for me has given me really good grounding to in my role now, the way I deal with you know some of the largest software vendors in the world trying to work with us. Because I quickly realized in this role that a lot of them would lean on brand name and think, well, we've got we're brand name X, we're really strong in what we do. Surely AWS would want to work with us and surely your field sellers want to work with us. I quickly realized that actually was not the case, right? The same way I had to manage a local startup was the same way I had to manage what we call a global ISV, a really large brand. And it came down to a few things. There's one, again, people. 
right? They need to have boots on the ground. People that are ready to partner and have the right intentions. Secondly, they need to be gold correctly. And I've seen this, and this is if channel managers here, leaders that are, are building goals and mechanisms for their team in dealing with CSPs versus channel, really yeah. think about the differences there because the, the best, the most successful partners for us at AWS are ones that put CSPs in a different bucket. They don't measure success with AWS the same way they measure the channel. It's a very, yeah. very different uh, ecosystem there that you're dealing with. So that that's a big part of how I quantify if, if a partnership is investable right now as well. And then third is that differentiation, is that true value. We have thousands of partners in our network uh, who all say they do the same thing. And Kelly was talking about this in the podcast too. It's the same in the software world, right? We've got, you can imagine me in the security space, we have 30, 40, 50 security vendors who, when it comes for our teams as well, our, our AWS sellers, very confusing space. Security vendor A, B, C, D, they all say they do cloud security. What's the difference, right? And they need to stand out. They need to have a unique value proposition to really understand some of the metrics about the value they bring to our customers. And even to the point of our sellers, like what's in it for our sales teams and working with vendor X versus vendor Y. And knowing that is really important because not enough of them know that. They just assume that our sales team would want to work with them because of their brand. And so the ones that have done really well understand exactly how to speak our language and talk to our teams. So let's double click on that because I think that that's a really important uh, point. Um, we often think that the type of business and the type uh, uh, the, the type of business, the brand, the size of the technology business, whether it's a ISV or whether it's a services partner uh, in particular, that depending on the type of business, the engagement needs to be different. But yep. what I'm hearing from you is that the engagement from a um, uh, from how you look at it is irrespective. You've mentioned three things. You've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned people, you've mentioned goals, and you've mentioned differentiation. So let's take this to the marketplace because I know that you spend a lot of time with your SaaS vendors and ISVs in the marketplace. And Unbelievably, the marketplace is dominating every motion that, in particular, the hyperscalers are going to market with uh, with partners. So, why why is marketplace so important to the AWS strategy? And then the second part of that question is, how do partners differentiate in a marketplace? Yeah, good good question. So, I'll give you some background there. So, three and a half years ago, when I joined, I was the third person in our technology partnerships team in ANZ, and the SI part of the business completely dwarfs our technology partner team. Like we were a very small part. And even I remember my onboarding at AWS, a lot of our sales leaders were like, we don't really get this tech partner space. We don't really get marketplace. In three and a half years, it's like this the switch has been flipped and it's completely opposite way around. Our, our team, technology partner team now has had a lot of investment. Marketplace has had a lot of investment, both from a go-to-market motion, but resource, headcount, development, engineering. And I think a couple of reasons are behind that is a, a We've, as a business, a lot of our leadership have realized that our software partners are customers, first and foremost. Customer obsession is our number one leadership principle. So we need to support them in being successful. Because And then as a byproduct, they will naturally spend more with us, right? It's, that's yeah. going to happen. And I think also the shift in the market where a lot of pe- the, the cloud development, the cloud maturity, a lot of enterprise customers, particularly when they migrated to AWS or cloud in general, a lot of their core workloads are self-managed software solutions. And what's happening now is with the, the evolution of SaaS, a lot of those self-managed solutions on AWS are now moving towards SaaS, still on AWS, but no longer in a customer's tenancy, if you want to say. Yeah. It's, it's, it's obviously in the ISVs. 
And so a lot of our sales leadership have now realized that our sellers also need to, to change and evolve and become more like trusted advisors rather than selling, just selling compute, just selling storage and databases. They're now becoming trusted advisors, not just to their cloud usage, but their whole ecosystem of solutions. What are you using now for CRM? What are you using for data? What are you using for security? I see this day in, day out. Our sellers are coming to us and saying, my customers asked me about this solution, that solution. We don't know what to say, right? How do we get enabled to know more around that the software portfolio? And so I think it's a combination of those things driving marketplace then being naturally the procurement way. Like, okay, now we will advise you on solutions and now we obviously want you to buy through our, our network. And so I think it's, it's an evolution of that. I think we're, we're also doing a great job from AWS in creating a pool motion. We're making it really enticing for our customers to buy off marketplace, both from an engineering point of view, making it easy to buy, but also a number of um, financial reasons, right? Right, yeah. Why they may want to buy. So there's a, I say it's a pull and a push motion happening. There's the customers are pulling ISVs to sell on marketplace because they want to buy there. And then we're also working with our software partners to push customers to buy there for their own reasons as well. So let's double click on that particular point, because I think if I, if I heard you correctly, you, you're talking about the transaction of them in the marketplace. Yep. So what happens before that? Because there's this ongoing, um, there's this go-to-market marketplace motion um, that uh, is being driven through uh, a number of organizations. Um, I think in uh, the partnership space, uh, CoSell, ISV, that, that type of motion is yep. kind of front and central of working with hyperscalers. Yep. Now, the marketplace is the transaction point. So what do you think partners are doing well or what do you think partners aren't doing well when it comes to how they're helping this push and pull um, motion that you talk about? Yeah, absolutely. And I see varying degree of maturity of this. So there's, there's partners that are all in on working with AWS that they built their CSP Alliance team. They built assets, collateral incentives internally to co-sell with us, not to just the transact, but to co-sell, encouraging their sellers to share opportunities with us earlier, engage with our sales team earlier. So we can, we as AWS can have a level of influence in the opportunity. There's others that have put us very much in the channel bracket that goal their teams exactly as they would a traditional channel partner. That is the least successful. Obviously the first example is the yeah. most successful where they, in their goals and their KPIs are driving the right behavior and co-selling with us. And I'd say it's important to do that because if you put us in the traditional channel bucket, we, we are not a traditional channel. Our sellers have 200 plus services, thousands of partners, the biggest battle you have with them is mindshare. So you need to be really clear cut in how you engage with them, the value you bring to them and be willing to almost sometimes offer more on the table before you get back. I had, I listened to a really great podcast actually it was on the partner partnership leaders uh, YouTube channel in the last week. And on one of the sessions, they were talking about working with CSPs and they said working with CSPs is like having a savings account where you need to make a lot of deposits before you can make a withdrawal, but it has a long-term compounding effect. And that's what it's like working with us, right? You, in yeah. terms of, it's like a hockey stick effect. You put a lot of investment in and then eventually you get the success and then it will amplify and, and really accelerate. And to be quite frank as well, Des, I think that early coastal engagement is the biggest area of investment we are making as AWS as well. We've, I think we've got, we've made great investments in the transaction. That's the trend I see with some of my largest security vendors. We're now the transaction part and even they are challenging us how we do more in the earlier influence. And that's where we're investing a lot. And it's still fairly new for us, right? It's new for any CSP, this, this software co-sell yeah. piece. So we're still learning, we're investing, 
we're experimenting, but it's the biggest area that we're really trying to focus on is adding that value earlier in, in opportunities. I think our greatest influence right now is influencing when it's in a stage, stage of pipeline. We're really good at influencing. But when it comes to net new generation and maybe earlier stage influence and selection, yeah. we've still got work to do, but that's really where we're doubling down on. And and how much of the how much do you see partners can play a bigger part in that early stage um, influence? And and it comes down to again we talk about differentiation is is it's very hard for our seller with two hundred plus services thousands of partners to be like yeah I'm going to plug vendor A in my customer if I don't understand what vendor A does versus vendor B C. So the partners that are the most successful with us in co selling are the ones that have again those three points really great people that can come in and tell the story, build relationships, because at the end of the day, it's still a relationship business too, right? Like yeah. sellers want to work with vendors and people they know and trust. B, again, the goals are right, so that the goals are setting the right behaviours and how they deal with our teams and vice versa, right, and how we goal our sellers to work with software partners. And then C is that differentiation. Like, And I've seen some smaller, you could say, startup vendors do this better then the legacy, you could say, very traditional vendors because the, the legacy vendors come and say, we do everything. Yeah. And our sellers are like, cool, we don't want it, someone that does everything. And these startup vendors that have a solution that is very niche and pointed yeah. come in and sell the, our sellers on why they should co-sell with them or co-sell with them very quickly. And they get it. They're like, straight away, I know to bring this vendor in because they sold X straight away for my customer. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a, there's an element of from a, um, a partnering point of view is if if you think about the differentiation and then being clear on on what you particularly solve or what you particularly what value you add on top of when i see when i hear you talk about that right now um, imagine the partner now that's an aws view which is you've come to me with a bag of tricks or bag of things that you do. The reality is I can't point it to a particular point of value that we can provide to our customer. Now imagine what that looks like when they are positioning themselves to a customer. And I think that uh, from investable partners, you really know how to do this really, really well, um, irrespective of whether they're talking to a vendor or they're talking to a particular customer. And I think that we often, when we deal with good channel partners or, or tech partners working with hyperscalers um, or vendors, we almost feel like they have the skill set to, to, to clearly synthesize and make sense of what we do, how we do it, and where it, should be, where, where it should be a good fit. And that's not really the point. Number one, you don't have the mind share and the time to actually do that. Um, uh, all the time, and you need to be able to cut through that noise. Uh, that noise as well. So, when you look at those particular partners and you look at differentiation, do you feel that there's enough differentiation, uh, particularly in the partnership space today, or what do you think partners need to be doing around that particular differentiation? Is it is it a skill differentiation or technology skill set differentiation, or is that a, or is it actually how they position the the value that they that they add to particular customers. I'd say it could be a, 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 first of all, definitely not enough differentiation, particularly in in the space I'm in when it comes to security. Like again, so many vendors and, and customers are overwhelmed by this. We have customers that have 30, 40 different security solutions, and big focus for them is consolidation. Do I really need this many? Right, this minutia security solution can I not consolidate? So I think there is a lot of confusion out in the market in the space around differentiation. And I think from a partner's point of view, 
Absolutely. Don't just focus on that the skill or the technology. Focus on, the, again, your messaging out to market, how you may wrap that around. The, the technology might be quite similar to what else is out in market, but focus the differentiation on who in the market you're marketing to, the messaging you're putting out, the problem you're solving for a particular segment. I mean, on the topic of differentiation, I think there's multiple ways a partner can differentiate themselves, not only product-wise, right? Um, there could be slight differences in product or maybe quite similar, but I think it's how you market, right? Even market to certain segments. Um, even, even how your team is, is enabled or what they're capable of or your business is, is ready to serve. Are you ready to serve an SMB market, enterprise, digital native? What is it, right? How do you differentiate yourself for those particular customers in those segments and how do you speak their language? Is also another way you can differentiate, not just product or skills as well. So definitely encourage a lot of our partners, particularly in my first role here when I was in the startup space, to be very realistic about segment they wanted to serve and how they wanted to differentiate themselves in that segment. Very difficult if you're a five-person startup, very uh, development and engineering focused to sell into a large enterprise or a big bank. Right? You, you, might, you might be better off in, in certain maturity level or stage of your company's growth to focus on on an area that is more suitable for you. You're ready to serve and you've got the capacity to serve. That's not just for an ISV or a technology partner, but same for a services partner, right? So every single partner wants to serve the top end of town, but you may not be ready. And it's important to know that because you can also burn trust really quickly, right? If you come to AWS and you say, I'm ready to serve customer XYZ at the top end of town, we do have the trust for you to do that. And you go in and you can't deliver, yeah. then that can burn your business and your trust with with us and with the customers and in the market very quickly. Absolutely. So when you think about this region, um, because I think the the APAC or APJ region as a whole is very different to the way the rest of the world operates. There's super local or what I can call hyper-local regions within uh, APJ or in the APAC uh, region as well. You've, you're dealing with technology uh, partnerships looking to expand through the APJ region. How do you help them? Or what are the things you think that um, other partnership professionals that are looking to expand in this particular region, either on their own or working uh, with AWS, what are the things they should think about when it comes to this particular region, the nuances of APJ? What advice can you give them? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, big respect to colleagues that are doing APJ role. It's very difficult, and we know time zone wise, culturally, very different. I got, I had given a bit of an anecdote to a, a leader in the business here, at AWS, the other week, saying, you know, North America or EMEA is doing it this way. Why can't we do it the same in APJ? But I and I sort of looked up, and so APJ as a whole is only slightly smaller than North America in terms of landmass and size. Right. And yet within that site, that we have so many different languages, so many different cultures, different time zones to deal with. So it's a very difficult region to grow and expand in. But I think it's a hugely uh, a high potential region. And I see this from all our vendors, right? They, they see APJ. ANZ is probably the most mature out of everything in APJ right now. So they see ANZ as a really great area to experiment with partnering, to experiment with go-to-market because our customers are, have got money. They're willing to experiment and buy different solutions. So that would be my piece of advice, at least, is ex build experimentation in this region. If you work for a global company and you lead a channel business in APJ or ANZ, pitch to your leadership, let's do new things here first. Before you roll them out in North America and EMEA, how do we do new things here? Our customers are willing to spend, they've got money, right? So that would be one piece of advice. And the other piece of advice is get boots on the ground, right? Travel, go to India, go to Japan, go to Korea, go across ASEAN. This is something I've learned as 
someone that's had an ANZ role doing APJ. They're very different markets, different culturally, different the way they, they um, manage relationships and stakeholder relationships. And you, you need to, as a partnership professional, get out there and understand those nuances because there's a huge learning curve to have, have there. And it'll be very hard for you to grow business in India, for example, from ANZ, unless you've gone there and built relationships. And even from your own business's point of view, you put boots on the ground, sellers out there that understand the market, that have relationships. And for me, before we talk about programs, that's the most important thing is knowing those markets and knowing the people. That's the biggest challenge I have working with my vendors growing in APJ. Okay, and so so really important, kind of don't worry about the program as such, but really a worry, worry more so about where you're going to land, where you're going to land in a particular region. Um, and then how do you, how do you think, like when's a good time to kind of start to build the, the program around it? Um, uh, you know, is it combat, hand-to-hand combat fighting on the ground, trying to win that first customer, win that first partner? Is it that simple or what kind of advice can you give in terms of maybe two or three steps that um, you've seen work really well, people expanding, companies expanding in the APJ region? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I'm a big believer in that success breeds success. So before you go and invest hugely into a program in a certain region, Let's get some wins on the board, right? Let's understand how, also how that market's slightly different from like India to ANZ, for example. Like, yeah. Again, a different market. You may be at varying maturity levels in North America versus APJ, but think about that within a sub-region level. How is your business different from ANZ to India? And how is the market there different? So you need to understand those nuances and get some wins on the board. That would be my, my advice. And I see this now with a few vendors that I look after that very strong presence in ANZ no boots in the ground in India, and yet they want to win business in India, it is a completely different battlefield for them there. They're finding it super hard to win opportunities and very transactional and a lot more reactive in that market versus an ANZ. And so the big focus for them is let's just get some traction. Let's get some wins on the board how we can. And before they even invest sales resources, they're investing in partnership resources first to get those first few wins on the ground, build some revenue, and then invest in sales resources on the ground. So it's very much, a, seems a bit chicken and the egg, but you need to build, get success to start building success. And then same with us, right? It's very hard for me to get a vendor to work with AWS in India if they don't have any people on the ground and if they don't have any wins, wins on the board. Our team in India is just not going to value time with them, right? They're going to see them as a very heavy uplift versus someone that has some wins on the board and are ready to go Yeah, and are ready yeah. to invest. Yeah, I think it's probably like, even just establishing establishing the business is very much you kind of think about the motion of partnering, right? It's the it's the initial where's the quick value that we can yeah. we can uplift from the particular engagement. How can we kind of build on that that success, and then how can we create some repeatability uh, that sits a, that sits, yeah. sits around that? I often in conversations that we have. Uh, from a partner elevate point of view, working with vendors and distributors uh, across the globe, there seems to be there seems to be a massive opportunity or growth opportunity in this particular region. But really, it's the nuances of the go to market which kind of holds people back from reaching that particular success. Yep, I know you said. Don't do something in North America, come do it here first. That's pretty bold because what we typically see is we we typically see partnership professionals and partnership leaders taking what they've done 
in Europe or North America and trying to kind of position that right in in this particular in this particular region. And it's hard because there's typically they go and hire one particular person. And then it's right. Uh, it's not about understanding the region, as you said, and getting those first wins. It's like, come on, you've got to run and build what we've got in Europe or North America. So <laughs> super I, challenging. I, I'm really passionate about the APJ region, Des. And, and uh, I, this is my biggest gripe too. Sometimes working for a global company is, is some people sort of sit back and think, what's North America doing? I'm like, hold on, hold on. We can build here, right? We've got great builders. We've got great uh, initiatives and ingenuity here. So... Like I, I'm really passionate about APJ and love seeing us build initiatives and we've done several of those in the last couple of years with our team that have become global initiatives from APJ and that's something that makes me really, really happy in the morning to see that we're having a global influence. We're not just waiting to be influenced. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Look, earlier on you spoke about the from a partnering point of view, it's the people, it's the goals and then uh, the third part is um, trust. And how you how you actually execute. So, you know, as much as it is partners building, um, re, you know, being relevant and top of mind for you from an AWS point of view, it's also AWS. You know, there's some really cool partners that you want to be co-selling with. There's really cool partners that, like, let's just take someone like Wiz at the moment. <laughs> you know, they're just killing it. Great article in the Forbes magazine there about their founders, but. And I know you're trying to establish a you know, big partnership with them in this particular region. So how do you, from an AWS point of view, how do you think about your relevance and your value to partners? Yep. Because we often think it's a one-way street. Like we often think it's the, well, you've got the hyperscaler or the vendor, you need me to grow your business. So what have you got for me? Um, but actually it's not. You know, that's a myth. You know, there's as much... How can you be more relevant and um, uh, valuable to those particular partners? So do you have any insights as to how you think about it when you are working with your particular partners to be super relevant to them? Is there any kind of way you think about understanding what they actually need from yep. you to so you can be really uh, relevant for them? Absolutely. goes up, but also uh, how valuable uh, you are to them also goes up as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's really, really good question. It's actually something I'm really passionate about, this, this sort of discussion about the value we're adding back to our partners. Um, and I think this is relevant not just for technology partners, but also services partners and professional services partners. Is And this was a learning I had. My first ever face-to-face meeting I had with a partner when I joined AWS. I went out to uh, Barangaroo, met a local startup there. And I had, I had got given this massive template of all this historical data of partner performance in ANZ. And to be quite frank, they were very low, like had almost zero coastal wins, no differentiation. And I didn't know how, how, how worth that trip would be, right? Looking at the historical data. But when I went out there and I, I met the CEO and I met the head of sales and the CEO was on his laptop at the time. And he's like, yeah, I'll be, I'll be listing, but you know, I'm just doing emails. And I thought, oh God, this guy must not really care what AWS has to say, right? And the first thing I thought to myself, I'm going to open with because I knew very little about them and even very little about our technology partnership program at the time. It was my first ever meeting. As I said, I'm not here to talk about AWS. I'm here to talk about you. Uh, what are you trying to achieve as a business in the next few years? And how do we as AWS help get you there? CEO closed his laptop lid and said, now we're talking. No one from AWS has ever asked us that before. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is going to shape my entire technology partnerships narrative, right? When I speak to partners is, 
forget, you know, yeah, specific revenue or technologies. What are you trying to do as a business in this region? Whether you're Wiz or whether you're a startup in North Sydney or Barangaroo, yeah. what are you trying to do as a business and how do we as AWS help get you there? It might be product, it might be go to market, it might be people, it might be even just what are you seeing in market as AWS? Which segments should we be prioritizing cloud security on? That sort of advice, that feedback, coaching and nurturing, you could say in a way, earns huge trust that I think the rest of it comes, comes later down the line. And so for me as a partner manager, a partnership professional has always been around understanding what business problems, not doesn't always have to be technical, yeah. but what business problems is the vendor slash partner trying to achieve and, and mapping them backwards how AWS and how me helps get them there. That is the most important thing. If they can believe in the vision, they can believe that you really care about getting them there, then that will solve the programmatic, the operational challenges that comes with partnering as well. Oh, I love it. Love it. Absolutely. Bring it, make it real for them. I love that. Close, close the laptop because yeah. you asked a really simple question, which is what is it you need and what is your business all about? It's difficult in a lot of situations. You don't always have these one-on-one -on -one meetings. You know, you, you, you sometimes have 50 partner meetings a, a month and you, you can't always give it the right attention, yep. but you can always ask the right question. Exactly. Uh, and their partner became really successful too, Des, like with us. They did a lot of great, they were mentioned, ended up becoming mentioned at reInvent, doing a lot of great co-sell with us. And that was, again, if I had put my head in the spreadsheet and looked at the historical data, not sat down and understood his vision, then it would, that would have never happened. And so that's something I'm also a really big proponent of. Don't just look at historical data. Sometimes you need to sit in front of someone and understand their vision, their dreams, where they're going. Yeah. And you might get a different, that's a different data point as well as historical partnership. Yeah, and it's a, it's a lag indicator, right? It's not a lead indicator. It's a yep. lag indicator. It's it's what they've done. The reality is, they could they could have done two million, five million with you last year. Is that really what they're going to be able to do this particular year? Um, uh, and is it what is it? You know, what help do they need? Do they need help making that the next five million, or do they need help in another area of the business? Absolutely. Super, super critical. And you can have such a level of impact straight away, right? Such a Absolutely. level of impact straight away. You don't need to ask the who's your ideal customer, what do you serve, what technology. You can really work out whether they're going to be a good fit for what you are trying to do. I'd love to know how do you balance that? Because, you know, you've got goals, you've got KPIs, OKRs um, as, a, as a partnership professional. How do you balance the what you need to uh, be successful and what they need to be successful. How do you balance that in the relationship and then actually in how you, uh, how you engage with them? This is the, the one thing that keeps me up at night, Des, because I'm super passionate and, and I've, I've always felt like my role at AWS, I've been my partner's representatives in AWS, not the other way around. So I, I Intimately care about my partner's success, and the reality is not everyone is going to be successful. As we know, not everyone has does have the differentiation. They think they do, but they don't, or they might not have the right people, or timing might just be wrong. And so that's the biggest biggest challenge for me is is where I invest my time. And even I'll be quite honest, even transparently, that's probably my biggest weakness is sometimes saying no to people, even though I sort of know deep down they may not may not be at the right time for the journey. Um, but the reality is, again, as a professional, we have to prioritize. Like as a channel and a partnership leader, um, you do need to prioritize where you where you spend your time um, and your 
your energy and it might be saying no, right? It might be pushing back. And sometimes the customer and partner obsessed thing to do is actually saying no and it's pushing back and saying, hey, you're not ready or your value proposition is off or you need to go back and do this. That's what a good coach does sometimes is to be brutally honest with their partners yeah. um, rather than just say yes and string them along for a ride. Um, yeah, well, you, you know, a lot of time in partnerships we say yes either way on the partner side or the vendor side. Vendor side, we say yes because we're kind of hoping that at some point this will come to fruition. On the partner side, we, we don't say yeah. no because we're like, we need this vendor, we need the vendor's attention. So um, it's really, it, I'm, I'm really glad you brought, brought that because it is, it, it is something that smacks a lot of us in partners, uh, in partner leadership roles uh, in the face. And that's like, yeah. how do we, do we let, the partner down softly do we just disengage i'm i'm a firm believer on don't not disengage don't just go quiet because yep. that is just um th that's not cool that erodes yeah. tr erodes trust down the road down, down the road um i'm a firm believer in just being super clear on what it is they are not you know what line they're not meeting in terms of what you need either from them to be successful or really where you are being super clear in your particular strategy and at least give them something to go and do about it either exactly. you might have a partner program um uh learning a pathway that they can go through or or Try and help, just try help them. Give yep. them that next particular point that they can go and work on what, what it is they need to. Absolutely. And intent is huge as well, Des. Like there might be partners that have absolute intent to want to be successful and work together. But again, there may be other factors that just mean they're not going to be successful right now, right? So you need to nurture that. And there's clearly other partners that have no intent, right? So you can be very clear cut there where, where you're not wasting your time. But I have, a, I have a bit of a saying as well that I, I believe every partner is one fire away from being a bad partner, or you could say a rapport partner, or one good hire away from being an amazing partner. Like people can change businesses and partnerships very quickly. Yeah. You might have a leader that comes into a partner that has traditionally been very difficult to work with that all of a sudden is like, no, no, we are working with, in my case, AWS, and we're going all in and we're doing X, Y, Z. That quickly changes the culture of the partner. So again, be very mindful of those relationships. Don't erode trust exactly like you said. Um, they might not be ready now, but they may be in future. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you want to be a driver of partner impact. And um, to do that, you really, really need to think about um, how, do you, how do you give that partner that first engagement, that first kind of uh, step forward with the partner? How do you kind of make sure that you're aligning around what it is they actually need to be successful? I think that's a really, really clear point. What other points of advice or what other points of uh, opportunity can other partnership leaders who want to have who want to be a driver of partner impact what would you say that they should focus on either the early stages of their partner engagements or act actually as their partnership yeah. is maturing to revenue generation or grain market share i mean the biggest piece of advice for probably any stage of maturity in the partnership is get buy-in from others around you is you can't be on your own developing partnerships um and in, in my role it's really important for me to have buy-in from sales leaders partner sales leaders sa leaders solution architect leaders that i need a, a cohort and an army of people to help me make a partner successful it's not just me 
And then at the end of the day too, I intimately care about my partners. If I happen to move on to other things, if it's all relying on me, what happens to the partnership, right? Is it going to fall apart? I need to make sure there's scale, there's repeatability, and there's other people invested and bought in to my partner being successful. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's how you, you scale your role too, right? You can't be involved in everything, every opportunity. You need people bought in. That, that will help you scale that. And so that's my piece of advice at any level, right? Whether you're a startup is if you're a startup dealing with an AWS or an, another vendor is don't just be relying on your alliance lead or your channel manager. Build yeah. relationships with sales leadership, MDs, country managers, scale that, that out. And then equally the same same for you if you're on the channel partner side, make sure that any strategy you're, you're building translates to sales leadership and leaders of the business. Like you, you may have your own intentions for, you, for your partnership strategy, but the language you're speaking has to translate to real revenue or impact for other people in the business. When you can do that, they'll, they'll jump on board and they'll help, they'll help you drive partnerships, even to the point of, for me, a big part of when I deal with my partners is what's the partner's business strategy, but what is the individual strategy? What is my alliance lead counterpart's goals, KPIs? What do they care about? What's that, what motivates them from an individual level? How do I understand some of those other metrics to help me with my role as well? Yeah, super, super, super important to be relevant. I always think about good partner professionals are good orchestrators. Yeah, and that's spot on. Then how to orchestrate this kind of words, orchestrate and leverage. Those are the two things that come to me. They can orchestrate well and they can leverage uh, people around them. When you're building a partner team and your team yep. of one, hard to leverage and hard to orchestrate. But at the same time, if you have that, thinking i think you operate you certainly operate differently yeah i remember doing a presentation to my manager one of my one of the first partners i worked with that has done really really well with aws local anz partner and he's like oh, you've done really well and i said i i haven't done well like the, the army of people supporting this partner have done well and i built a slide from that had me in the middle as partner manager and i kid you not there was a powerpoint slide that had probably 50 names on their resources that were driving them globally yeah. and i said to the manager this is probably only half of them i can't fit the rest of the names yeah. That's why this partner's gone from A to Z because of the, everyone driving them at certain points of their journey, not just me. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Well, Reagan, um, it's been an absolute awesome um, conversation. I've loved it. There's so much we could talk about. I love your passion for APJ. And um, in true partnership style, um, I'm going to throw you a handball here and we're going to do something different on the show. So firstly, are you ready to jump in? Let's rock and roll. Something differently. Okay, cool. <laughs> so this is how it goes. I want to introduce the segment because in, in the partnerships world, we try and uh, we've got our own um, a taxonomy and everyone's taxonomy um, is different. So uh, I just want to get what's on your mind at a particular point. So I'm gonna, really simple, I'm gonna say a couple of words and I want you to finish that off with one or two words that's on your mind. Go for it. Let's go. Um, it's like Jeopardy or something like that. Okay, cool. So first one, partnerships thrive on? People, I think that's the theme of the podcast today. <laughs> partnerships embody? Trust, there's gotta be mutual benefits and trust on both sides. Cool. Uh, through partnerships, you can scale. Partnerships spark innovation. Partnerships succeed through. I'd say persistence. They don't always work the first time, but don't be afraid to fail and experiment. Love it. 
Awesome. <laughs> love it. Love it. It's been so good to, to have you join me. I know you're giving up important uh, time. It wasn't like uh, with Kelly, I had him at the end of the financial <laughs> So I really appreciate the time and for you joining the conversation with me today. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Liz. Thank you for listening to Investable Partnerships. Subscribe wherever you listen and visit investablepartnerships.com for the transcripts of today's show.